This is a day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Everybody hear me? Hear me? Dustin, one, two. Okay. Anyway. Uh, when I was in the Methodist Church, when I was a young man, I used to hear the word lay person or layman, whatever. It's used in many different ways, I guess. But uh, uh, each time I would hear that word, they would say, so-and-so will be the lay person for today, and he will be speaking. So I looked up the definition, and it says a non-professional, non-ordained person. So that's what you got this morning, me. <laughs> anyway. Well, as you know, the leadership is not here. And uh, we wish them well and hope they come back refreshed. And I remember when Pat and I were able to go, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, twice we went to Maryland uh, at the pastor's conference up there. And um, they had lots of different classes you could go to. And you got to pick and choose what you wanted to go to, and I like that. Uh, and they did that for a couple of years, and then they, the last year we went, they started just grouping everybody together in a big auditorium, so you had hundreds and hundreds of people, which wasn't quite as, as, as good as picking your own class. And anyway, uh, it was a real joy to go uh, to listen to some of the, I guess you call more famous people in Christianity, uh, and John Pipe and those those type of people. But uh, one of the things I always enjoyed was the worship time. It was a wonderful worship time. You have people from all walks of life coming together to worship God at one time. And uh, it just, it, it, as the worship went on and on, it just got better and better and better. And you had people there that were just absorbed with God's love. And it was like one, one big conglomerate all come together for one purpose. And I loved it. And it was wonderful. So anyway, so I want to speak to you this morning for a few minutes. And I left it down there. So excuse me one second. Back in January when we had... That snow, real cold weather, if you remember. And before that time, we had a lot of warm weather. And we had trees blooming. Uh, and, and we thought, well, you know, I used to think, well, you know, what's going to happen if we have a cold snap? And, of course, we did. We had that snow. Then after that, we had cold temperatures. And I don't know about y'all, but where I live, it got down to minus four, two nights in a row. And I have a lot of pear trees, uh, which I love because they bloom and are so beautiful through the summertime. And uh, on the north side especially, that cold killed the leaves, and they all turn this color. I guess y'all can see it. It's, it's looked like it's dead. So anyway, uh, and I told Pat, I said, Pat, I'm really concerned because my pear tree is not going to have nice, big, beautiful beautiful leaves on them this year. So about three weeks ago, I come by one of the pear trees, and I saw this, which used to be this. 
What had happened was, if you can see this leaf, it was at one point in time all dark, dead, I assume to be dead. But then, out of that came, off of that tree, a sprout. The same leaf that which was dead, it began to get a little green. And as I watched over the weeks, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is an example of one of them. And it's amazing that God could do that. Yeah. But, when I think about life, I think about, this is who we were before we knew Christ. And then, he took this, and he turned it into this. And our journey with him began when we had our salvation. So this leaf is now growing. Christ is growing up. And that journey, at some point in time, will be complete. This is what it will be when it's complete. Okay. One night at a Dwight L. Moody revival meeting in Brockton, Massachusetts, a young man stood up to testify about his confidence of salvation. He said, I am not quite sure, meaning that he wasn't really certain that God would save him from his sins. And then he continued, but I am going to trust and I am going to obey, meaning that he planned to trust God for his salvation, and to do what he could to, to obey God's will. From this testimony came to him that we know today as trust and obey. Indeed, he was a wise young man. He was not sure how it was all going to work, but he made a conscious choice to trust and obey. It should, not come, it should not come as a surprise to most of you that our text today is taken from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3, 5, and 6. The subject is trust. It's a small but complex word, and that is easier said than done. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. The scripture can be broken down into four points. First, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Two, lean not on your own understanding. Three, make all your ways, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And four, He will direct your path. The word trust means to cling to, to confide in, or to set one's hope and confidence upon until and to feel secure or to rely on. Trust is mentioned 134 times in the King James Version of the Bible. There are several different Hebrew words behind the English word trust. According to the ancient Hebrew research center, the Hebrew word for trust found in Proverbs 3.5 is batach, which means to cling. Then there's a related Hebrew word that is a melon found in 
sorry. Found in Numbers chapter 11, verse 5. The melon is huge, just as our problems are. The vine is very small. We may not be able to see God, but He is our strength. The one who nourishes us, just as the vine nourishes the melon. It's interesting that Jesus in John 15, 5 has said this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Any real relationship has to start with some level of trust. It's the only way a friendship will endure it's the only way a marriage will work out. It's a simple reason why an employer hires workers or why the workers stay employed. It's all about trust. Now, trust in the Lord, however, takes on an entirely new dimension. This is our trust in an eternal, all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving God. He is worthy of our trust. Trust is important. Not that just because of who God is, but because of the way in which we must trust Him with all of our hearts. That's the kind of trust we can have in a God. A complete, unshakable, deep, abiding trust. As Christians, we are quite confident in trusting Jesus for our salvation. But what about the direction for our lives? For example, what does it mean to trust God with your marriage and your children? What does it mean to trust God with your job? What does it mean to trust God when someone mistreats you? What does it mean to trust God with your money or when you don't have any money? What does it mean to trust God with your time? What does it mean to trust God with your decisions of life? The goal must be to trust in Him with all your heart. A journey that begins with salvation. Trust is a practical outworking of faith. To me, our faith is the belief that God is who He says He is. Our trust is a God who says, who will do what he says he will. Truth is, it is when we trust God that we show our faith in him is real. The perfect example of trust comes from a story that we're all very familiar with. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men had been offered everything the king's court could give, and that, but their names had been changed to that of pagan gods. The king tried his best to brainwash them. Through it all, the young men remained loyal to their god. The big test came when King Nebuchadnezzar orders all peoples, nations, and men of every language to bow down and to worship his golden idols. The young men refused, and the king was filled with rage 
commanded that they be brought before him. In Daniel 3 through 16, it says this, The three young men replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of your goal, your goal that you have set up. We know the rest of the story. The king was furious and he orders, orders Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the furnace, heated seven times hotter than the furnace usually was. I remember three or four weeks ago, uh, I burned a barn down. It was an old barn that we didn't use anymore. But it was all dry wood in that barn. When I burnt that barn up, I couldn't get within 40 feet of that barn until, you know, it had pretty much burned up. I can't even imagine the heat that was produced in that furnace when they threw them in. It's amazing. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of the Gods. The believer's commentary said, It is indeed the Son of God, none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Please, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Of course, after they were released, then they were released to live their days in the providence of Babylon. Bottom line for me here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in the Lord with all their hearts. Live or die. It didn't matter. They knew he would be with them regardless. Because of their unconditional trust, God saved them from harm in the midst of a situation and delivered them from bondage. They prospered. And God proved to everyone that he was the one in charge. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul who said in Philippians 1, 2, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Trust and obedience go hand in hand. 
There's little trust without obedience. Obedience should be based upon the truth of God's word and not our feelings or our circumstances. Excuse me. The person that trusts is not driven by, is not driven about by every circumstance. Trust does not mean shutting your eyes to the facts of life. I've always told my kids to be aware of what's going on around them. Don't be foolish and ignore the situation. Truth looks at things as they are. The person that trusts sees danger and considers the danger for what it is. Trust looks beyond and sees God as all-sufficient help. A good example is David and Goliath, which is found in 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 37. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant, <clears throat> your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear and will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I don't think David cared how strong the giant was. He only cared about the power of the living God. We should see God greater than the needs, the dangers, or the difficulties, and not run from them. The person that trusts is not driven by emotions. Listen to the words of Jerry Haven. He says, there is no fear in trust. The two are opposite. When we really fear, we're not trusting. When we trust, fear gives way to assurance. When we fear, our peace is more and our hearts are troubled. Now, I don't mean to say that if you trust, nothing will ever startle you or frighten you. Or that you will never feel physical fear in times of danger. But in such times, trust will bring us to a consciousness that the Lord knows and cares and his help and peace is with us. Isaiah 12.2 says this, I will trust and not be afraid. This is the way God wants us to trust. He wants us to be confident in Him when we cannot go on circumstances or feelings. You can believe in God and His, <clears throat> and his existence, 
but not place your trust in him. People put their trust in the wrong things. Some place their trust in themselves. Some place their trust in weapons. Some place their trust in riches. And some place their trust in man or government. Jeremiah tells us, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from me afresh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a brush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like sheep, be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Proverbs 28, 25 through 26 says thus, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. <clears throat> in the 19th century, the great, greatest tightrope walker in the world was a man named Charles Blondin. On June 30, 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Over 25,000 people gathered to watch him walk. 1,100 feet suspended on a tiny rope, 650 feet above the raging waters. He worked without a net or safety harness of any kind. The slightest slip would prove fatal. When he safely reached the Canadian side, the crowd burst into a loud roar. And in the days to follow, that days that followed, he would walk across the falls many, many times. Once he walked across on stilts. Another time he took a chair and a stove with him and sat down midway across, cooked an omelet and ate it. Once he carried his manager across riding piggyback. And once he pushed a wheelbarrow across loaded with cement. The very next year, a royal family, <coughs> excuse me, a royal party from Britain saw Blondin cross the type rope on stilts and again blindfolded. Blondin approached the royal party and asked the Duke of Newcastle, Do you believe that I can take a man across the type rope in this wheelbarrow? Yes, I do, said the Duke. Blondin said, Hop in. <laughs> Well, the Duke declined Blondin's challenge. He might have believed Blondin could do it, but he wasn't willing to trust him with his life. This makes it clear, doesn't it? It's one thing to believe that a man can walk across by himself. It's another thing to believe he can safely carry you across. But it's something else entirely to get into the wheelbarrow yourself.
So to what degree are you trusting God today? What are the things in your life that you do trust Him with? What are the things in your life that you don't trust Him with? Point two, lean not on your own understanding. The commentary says that there must be a healthy distrust of self and acknowledgement, an acknowledgement that we do not know what is best for us, that we are not capable of guiding ourselves. Let me repeat that. There must be a healthy distrust of self and acknowledgement that we do not know what is best for us, that we are not capable of guiding ourselves. Jeremiah 10, 23 puts it this way. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. The word lean on goes back to two ancient images. One is the image of a soldier leaning on his sword to rest when he was tired and to protect him in battle. The other is a picture of a shepherd leaning on his staff. The deeper message is reliance. The soldier nor shepherd will be able to rely on his sword or staff to provide all that they need in any situation. The word lean is the same word used when King Saul leaned on his sword and killed himself. Be careful what you lean on. The sword and the staff represent things of this life, and someday they will all be gone except for Jesus. Listen to the words of David Wilkerson. He says the day of destruction is going to come some suddenly, someday. All material things of this world will lose our value, becoming absolutely worthless. We're going to be left with nothing but Christ. Yet we need nothing more. He is a living word that we need. To me, it works this way. Leaning not on your own understanding means not bowing down to circumstances of of your life. And not trying to figure it all out. But acknowledging the one who's really in control. Proverbs 20 tells us, A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Psalm 30 says this, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Point number three. In all your ways acknowledge him. There must be an acknowledgement of the Lordship of our God. The call here is to take every part of our lives and to acknowledge that all of it is part of our journey with Christ. God has a right to your trust and to your life. 
In all your ways, we must acknowledge him. Everything you do in your walk of life, in who you are, in your habits, in your kind of life, in everything, acknowledge him. Now, this is not only like in praise and worship, but how you get up in the morning, how you treat your family, your co-workers, and everything you must acknowledge him. It's easy to acknowledge him in the good things. It's very difficult to acknowledge God in the bad things. When children die, family members die, disasters but the scripture says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. We had an example of that. Of this week on Rite 15, two young kids got killed. It's hard for us to understand things like that. But we must acknowledge that God is in control and he knows about it. When we acknowledge him in all things, we are acknowledging all things are held together by him. We are acknowledging that all things are part of his perfect and good plan. And the Hebrew acknowledging means to learn about him, to perceive him, get acquainted with him, means to know him. God's purpose for us is to know him as a husband and wife relationship. In Hebrew, husband means house band, the one who holds all things together. A good indication of how well you are acknowledging God in all your ways, what do you pray for? What are you thankful for? What are you worried about? And the end results of trust and acknowledging takes us to point four. He will make your path straight. Commentary states this. If the condition of the previous verses are met, the promise is that God shall direct our paths. At face value, it looks like an encouraging promise. And it is. It's a promise. That with God's help, which we trust in him, he will eventually reach the destination that he has in mind for us. An eternity of joy and being in his presence. But it's also a bit of a warning. It reminds us that our path in life is God's, God's path and in his way may not be the way we have chosen for ourselves. Jesus said to enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and may enter through it, and many enter through it, for small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Hmm. We must be willing to go where he takes us. Sometimes we will encounter obstacles that will make us have doubts. This is all part of trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Removing obstacles is his job. 
He will make your path straight. He may do it through the Bible, through God of counsel, through the Holy Spirit, or a combination of these. Stephen Blando puts it this way. Makes a good point when he said, Our temptation and our tendency is to pick a path with the expectation that God will approve of it. And that's not how God works, folks. Rather than picking a path and asking God to bless it, God has already chosen a blessable path for each of us. And when we trust to and we choose to trust Him, lean on Him, and acknowledge Him, His path becomes clear. God doesn't bless our path. He blesses His path and expects us, invites us to walk in it. Or as King Solomon put it in Proverbs 3, 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Now, as I close this morning, let me say this. Be prepared to go where Jesus is taking you. Be prepared to trust in him to make your path straight. To trust Jesus, you must know him. To know him, you have to study his word. Be open to this Holy Spirit, folks. And at times, be willing to seek godly counsel. I'm with a young man who spoke at Dwight L. Moody's meeting. I'm not sure how it's all going to work, but I'm going to do my best to trust and obey. Are you willing to trust and obey? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you, Lord, that you have provided everything that we need. And I want to thank you, Lord, that you encourage us to trust in you and acknowledge you at all times. And you said if we did that, you would direct our paths. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us, even in the times we, where we don't deserve to be loved. But you've always loved us. You may not like our ways, but you love us, Lord. Father, I pray for this church, uh, the members of our church, everything that's out here. And thank you for how you've provided for each of us, Lord. Let us, not, uh, let us not forget who the one is that controlled. We love you, Lord, and we thank you this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, y'all want to come on up?